That brought back some memories. I was in Nicaragua, and the brothers down there could not say Shane. They kept saying chain. But when they say chicken, they say chicken. I'm like, how do you all struggle with Shane? But uh, I finally just gave up and said, call me Juan. And so I was hermano Juan for the whole time I was in Nicaragua for a mission trip. So it is Shane. I'm glad to be here today. I hope you are as well. As we were worshiping, God just impressed upon my heart. I just this sense of heaviness this morning, but the sense of also gratitude that we are where we are at. And, and I want to just begin this morning by saying, are you grateful that you have a place to come without fear of persecution, without threat of someone bombing. We're not hearing sirens in the background going off right now. I'm convinced of this. This morning in Israel, there are Christians that are there, and they're worshiping today a risen Savior. And I promise you, there's joy in the house. I promise you, they're faithful, and they're standing in their faith, and they're proclaiming the promises and the truths of God's Word. And I just wonder sometimes if we get so, I don't know, complacent because we're not really encountering any friction. Uh, and it's really when you get into those situations like that that it really starts to test the faith. You're like, we say we believe these things, and now here's our opportunity for us to walk in and to express those things. And so please, please don't take for granted where we're at right now. Hopefully you're grateful to be in God's house, that we've got the, you know, a little bit of heat on. Maybe not for some of you enough, but the, you know, we're not freezing. It's freezing outside. But to look with anticipation into God's word, what does God have to say to us? Here's something else I'm convinced of. There are many methods, there are many different styles, there are many different ways that we can approach the Scripture, but God's Word is where the power is at. Amen? And so when we open the Word of God, I'm hopeful that we come with a sense of awe and a sense of expectation. God, what do you want for me today? What am I going to preach about today? I'm tempted. Like, let's talk about Israel. And I pray about it. I'm going, what do you want me to speak about? And I've been led to just stay the course where we're at because it is absolutely relevant in our lives today. I remind you of what I said last week that the scriptures were all written with the background being persecution. And it's in the background of persecution that Paul writes, and everybody in Scripture is right. This is how we live our life. This is who we are in the gospel. And I hope that we're getting that. I hope that we're soaking in some of the things that we've been speaking on for the past several weeks. And so with that in mind, let's read the passage of Scripture. Let's read it with hearts that say, God, speak to me. And let's pray and let's just jump into the message this morning. A call to imitate is the title of the message. Chapter 5, verse 1. Read with me, please. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an adulterer worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light." For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. 
It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning humbly knowing uh, that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, we know that this world is not our home. We're just foreigners here until the day you call us home, which could be tomorrow. It could be today. We don't know. But Lord, while we wait, we live in this world that is upside down from your way of doing things and your way of thinking. And Lord, we just want to live our lives in such a way that proves or demonstrates that we belong to you. And so in this moment right now, Father, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear, hearts that are receptive to your truth, that we don't close off something because it, it doesn't taste good. It's not palatable to what we want to hear, but we let your Holy Spirit speak to us today. Lord, that you would just be with us in this room. We know you're here. We pray that we would just sense your presence today. And Father, would you speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. So we have this call to imitate. Now, I don't know about you, but and this is something that is very common for all of us. When I was a kid, we played these childhood games, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, or Tag, or Hide and Seek. But my favorite one was what I call Copycat. Now, I don't know what the rules are today if you were to play that game, but when I was a kid, it went something like this. I have two sisters, and my older sister was the one that I picked on probably the most, not the most. And she would say something, and I would mock what she said. And it would get kind of fun because the more it annoyed her, the funner the game became. And so I was like, stop copying me. Stop copying me. Stop it. Stop it. And I would mock and mimic and imitate everything she said to the point where, Mom, tell him to stop. Mom, tell him to stop. It was so annoying. I loved it. It was fun. You know, we don't play that game anymore, but I want all of us to know that we still kind of copy. We still imitate people and culture and things that are around us. It's absolutely normal, whether it's intentional or it's subconsciously, we imitate things. For instance, you may have a friend that has these little catchphrase sayings, something that you don't say, but you're hanging out with your friend and you notice they always do or say something, and before you know it, you're doing or saying the same thing, right? They kind of rub off on you. Or maybe your favorite influencer or actor or musician has got a new hairstyle or a suit or a clothing deal. And then all of a sudden you start noticing that that trend is taking off and, and people start mimicking or Im imitating what they're seeing from other people. Here's a good illustration for you. Here's a picture I brought for you this morning. Does anybody know what that reference is? The movie Top Gun, Maverick, that is Rooster, and that mustache is all over Canyon, Texas and the Panhandle because of that movie. We imitate things like that, like, this is cool, let's get the mustache. Can I just say for the record, long before that guy was born, I was rocking the mustache, and it was cool, right? <laughs> and 
I want an apology from everybody that told me that was a pedo stash because it was cool before it was cool. Okay, enough of that. The point is that we imitate people. And it's not always wrong. There are times when it's okay to imitate. And there are times that we shouldn't imitate. And this is the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses now in this application part of his letter in Ephesians. We've been in this book for a while. Hang with me. I promise there's good stuff in here. Because the first three chapters, he's saying, this is who you are in Christ. This is how the gospel has affected your life, and it should have an impact on you. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling. And so this is part two of that, and he's talking about what it looks like to live our lives as followers of Christ who've been affected by the gospel in a way that is worthy, the word is axios, in equal weight of all that God has done for us. Now, how many of you know God's done everything for us? And so Paul is basically showing us, unpacking, this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling. And so when he begins chapter 4, he begins using this word in the Greek called peripateo, and it's translated to live, to lead, to walk. It affects our conduct, our speech, our actions. And so Paul has been saying, walk, conduct yourselves, speak like somebody who's been affected by the gospel. Live your life worthy of the calling. So he's talked about unity and the importance of walking in unity. He's talked about how important it is for us to no longer walk like the Gentiles do. Last week we talked about taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Amen? And so he says, don't walk any longer in your old sinful nature, but walk according to the plan that is designed to be like Christ. Put on the new clothing that is like Christ. Again, that word peripateo. In this text today, he uses that word three more times as he's talking about imitating God, and he shows us three different ways that we can do um, that. So the word imitate is the Greek word mimetes, and it means to follow a pattern or to follow an example. And so um, it is very common for the Apostle Paul to say, follow my example as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. First Corinthians 11.1 1, or Philippians 4.9, Paul says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he's saying to imitate is not a bad thing. You can learn some great things from other people. They can influence you, and they can, we can imitate them, and it's not a bad thing. There are certain things that we don't want to imitate, as I said a moment ago. Now, Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Therefore, and when we read the word therefore, we've got to go back to the previous verse. Paul has just finished saying, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Are you glad that through the gospel your sins have been forgiven because of what Jesus did? So he said, all right, now you need to forgive other people just as God has forgiven you. And okay, now, in this way you're imitating God. And so he says, imitate God, therefore in everything, say everything. Now in everything that we do, he says, I want you to copy the behavior, the pattern, the example that was set before you, imitate God. Why? He says, because you are his beloved children. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is who we are. Because of the gospel, we are his children. He says, look, look just as a kid would imitate a parent, so we as children of Father God should imitate our father. Are y'all, are y'all catching that? When I was a little, my dad was a truck driver, and I remember just being infatuated with all things semi-trucks, and it was the highlight of my day to get to clean the bugs off the windshield of this big 18-wheeler. I don't know why, but it was cool. And I get to get in the truck and occasionally start the truck. I remember the first time I put it in gear and moved it. 
It felt like a mile, but it's probably about that far. Freaked me out. I quit. I never told him. I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. But I wanted to be like dad at that early age. This normal for a kid to say, I want to imitate my father. We say all the time, kids will not remember what you say, but they'll remember everything you've taught them. Amen? And so it's important for us to lead by example. And so in this case, Paul is saying, imitate your father, God, because you are not to become, but you are his beloved children. And he gives us three ways that we are to imitate to God, to imitate God. Look at the first one. It says, live a life, or here's this parapateo again, live a life, lead a life, conduct yourselves, what, filled with love. Now, the English language does not do the word love justice. You've heard us talk about this before. There are many in the Greek translations of the word love. The word love in this context is agape, and it's the strongest form of love. There are many different kinds of love. There's the Philadelphia love, the brotherly love. There is the um, eros love, is a more sensual love to the husband and wife. And then this agape love is this selfless, sacrificial not my will, but your will be done to love everyone else. And he says, this is what you should do. Peripateo, live your life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, how many know that Christ set the ultimate example? The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he knew he was going to do it. He came to lay down his life for his friends. That's love. That's sacrificial. That's selfless, right? And he goes on to say that it was a pleasing sacrifice or pleasing aroma to God. In the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, when they would bring a sacrifice, they would put it on the altar. And many times in the Old Testament, it said, and it will be a pleasing aroma to God. When Jesus laid himself out on the sacrificial altar of the cross, he was, as a sacrifice, on our behalf, our sins were what required the sacrifice, but Jesus died in our place. And the Bible tells us this was a pleasing aroma to God. It pleased God that Christ loved us enough to lay down his life for his people. Amen? All right, so verse 3, it almost looks like it's out of place. Now, why would he put this next? Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Well, in the context of imitating, you've got a couple of choices. You can imitate the world. The way the world does things, or you can imitate God because we're his children, right? And so he says, don't imitate the world, but imitate God. But secondly, I want you to consider this. If agape is selflessness or sacrificial in its nature, then these things that are mentioned here become like these self-centered vices of conduct and speech. Think about it. Let there be no sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneo. We get our word pornography from that. The King James uses the word fornication, and it's any type of sexual behavior outside of the context of a husband and a wife. He says, let, let that not be among you. Why? Because that is a selfish or a self-centered desire to love like that. He says, don't, don't let yourself, let there be no sexual immorality um, or impurity. This is also tied sexually. This is like the vile stuff and or greed or covetousness, and it's just this desire that's unquenchable to acquire more things. And he says, listen, that should not be you. Let there be none of this among you, this desire to acquire that's gone haywire, this, this greed. Don't let it be. Such sins have no place among God's people. 
Why? Because we're imitating God and not the world. He says that type of behavior is the opposite of agape love. You're supposed to be filled with love with one another. So let there be none of that among you. These are not for you, he says. And verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse joke. Now, this is the, the speech part. Now, the other one was conduct. And the speech part, he says, these things shouldn't be a part of us either. And I don't know about you, but when we talk a lot, there's a good chance that we're going to be guilty of some of these things. And the Holy Spirit was working on me this morning. So let me just tell you that before I preach it, I'm in there getting hammered in my office, on my knees going, God, this is something that I see in my life that I need you to work with in me. Amen? So looking at this, he says, this is not you. I want you to imitate me. And when you do this, you're imitating the world and not me. So he says, obscene stories. This is like acting out or this behavior, like you're telling a story, and it's just like improper. Those obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. This right here, the, kind of the basis of this is like quick-wittedness. I used to uh, be really slow at comebacks. When people would offend me or cut me down, I would like, man, I wish I'd have thought of that earlier. And I got really good, really quick at responding, quick-witted with these comebacks. The problem is it's not godly, right? And so some of the things we say, we say it quickly, and the hope is that we, we get you know, a little joy or a little laughter from somebody that hears it. And it's usually at the expense of someone else. And so Paul's saying, hey, these are not what you're supposed to be engaging in. And he's not saying that you can't have fun, right? That there's no humor among the body of Christ. I mean, there should be joy, and we should be able to have fun. But when it's at the expense of other people, then it's wrong. So he says, imitate God. Live a life filled with love. And that means the selflessness. That means sacrificial, like not self-centered. And not hurting people, tearing them down with the words, these are not for you. Instead, in the place of this, he says, let there be thankfulness. Now, the New Living Translation says, to God. Most of the translations say thankfulness. And I thought about that. How much better is it in the context of the body of Christ if we're good and quick at saying, hey, I appreciate you. Hey, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do. Hey, you, you, I noticed you made the bed for me this morning. Thank you. I noticed that you, you cook regularly. Thank you. I, I noticed that you do all these things for me. Thank you. I appreciate you. Who doesn't like to hear that? Right? Are you with me, church? And so he's saying instead of the, the negative, the things that are like mimicking or imitating the world, be thankful. Let there be thankfulness. And I think that's one thing that the church could use today is just a reminder that we are thankful for one another. Things that build each other up, not tear them down. We talked about that last week. Verse 5. He goes on to say, the reason is you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy, these are the three he mentioned a moment ago, persons will inherit the kingdom of God, um, of Christ and God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. He's talking about those that are disobedient. In fact, the King James uses the word children of disobedience. We used to live that way. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, when we were in darkness, we were outsiders. We were children of disobedience, but now we have been brought near by the gospel. Amen? And so now, we're no longer children of disobedience, but we're children of obedience. And he's saying, this is the, the way that they live, and we shouldn't imitate that, because he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. But I do think it's a warning for us who are followers of Christ, who are children of God, imitators of God, to be very careful, because the Bible says we'll give an account for every idle word, and that should be sobering for each one of us this morning, right? 
Thank you to the one person. Listen, don't shoot the messenger. This is God's word, amen? And the apostle Paul is saying, like, look, God has done so much for you. Now I plead with you to live a life worthy, to walk this way. Walk with a life that's filled with love. The second thing that he tells us, the second way, look at verse 7. He brings up this metaphor of darkness and light. He says, don't participate in the things these people do, the children of disobedience, the world. Don't mimic them. Don't imitate them. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the, the Lord. And so this word light is phos, and, and we know that light brings clarity. It pushes away darkness. It divides dark and light, and it cleanses. It's bright. It's a good thing. He says once we were in darkness, but now we, are, we have light. So live, peripateo, walk this way, conduct yourselves this way as people of the light. So now you should live your lives as people who belong to the light. First John tells us that God is light, right? And there's no darkness in him at all. And so God is light, and we're supposed to mimic or imitate our Father to walk in this light in contrast to the world's darkness. How many know we live in a dark world today? Turn on your news, right? Turn on the radio. Go to the movies. Listen in on conversations around you. We live in a dark world. And there's a reason that a lot of the things that happen in the world are done under the, co- the cover of secrecy or darkness. Why? It's shameful. Have you ever gone into a dark room and flipped the light switch on and a bug goes scattering off? Why? They hate the light. The world is the same way. The world hates the darkness because it exposes the deeds that they do. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't come into the world to judge the world, but through him he would save them. It says, this is the judgment against anyone who believes in him. Or, excuse me, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. Here it is. God's light came into the world. Jesus is the light. Amen? His light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light, and they refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right, they come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And so this world that we live in is dark. And under the cover of secrecy and darkness, they don't want those things to be exposed. That's why our, our politicians are so corrupt, right? These backdoor deals, this insider trading. They don't want that to be brought to the light because then they would be exposed. But I can say that as followers of Christ, sometimes we can be guilty of the same thing. If we just said, all right, God, if you were to shine your light today in my life and all that that entails, would I be embarrassed? Uh-huh. Every one of us, Right? The movies on our shelf, right? The history on our internet, right? The conversations, the things that we, we do. If he shines the light, will there be something there that would be kind of embarrassing? It should be a sobering thought for us, but it's also a reminder that we're not to imitate that behavior. We once were darkness, but now, but now we are children of light. So we should live as people of light. So he says, carefully, carefully determine what, the, what pleases the Lord, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Well, how do we do that? 
He says, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, I think there are times when we need to stand up, and we need to speak truth. We need to be the light. We need to expose the darkness by preaching truth. Amen? I think there's times we need to say, that's wrong. But I think there's times we've got to be careful. He says it's a shame to even mention the things they do. But I think that our lives can be lived in such a way that is such a contrast to the lives of those around us in the world that that light has a way of exposing the darkness there. Does that make sense? That we live our lives in such a way that, like, man, it's just we radiate. The, the, the light is cleansing. How many of you looked at the eclipse yesterday? It was bright powerful. I'm grateful that the power of God's light is filtered through his grace for our benefit. Amen? Because his light has this cleansing effect and once our lives have been affected by his light, we should live in such a way that it just naturally exposes the darkness around us. And so he says, live as children of light, not as children of darkness. This metaphor for evil versus good, for Wickedness versus righteousness. He says, if you're going to imitate God, live a life filled with love. Live a life of light, right? Live in the light. Walk in the light, peripateo. And in doing so, I think it exposes the darkness that is around us. Well, here's another thing he says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Live a life filled with love. Walk in the light and walk like those who are wise, walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Can I just let you in on a little secret? God is the source of love. God is love. Amen? God is the source of light. He is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And he's also the source of wisdom. Do you know that God didn't have to acquire his wisdom over time? That's the way we do it. Right? We just grow and life has a tendency to teach us. God didn't have to learn to be wise. He is wisdom. He's the source of all wisdom. And so James says if we lack wisdom, we can come to him and ask him. And he gives liberally to all of us who ask. He's the source of wisdom. And better yet is because he's the source, his Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit dwells within us. How many know it's capable for us? We are capable of living this kind of a life because of the Spirit that lives in us. Amen? So he says, walk as one who is wise, not like the fools. Now, I don't want to minimize the wisdom. There's a lot of great philosophers and wise people in this world. They are, and I think that we can learn a lot from these guys. But can I just tell you that the wisdom of this world is foolishness compared to God? And God's wisdom might look like foolishness to the world. The wisdom that we are to ask for, the wisdom that we are to pursue, is a wisdom that he says in Proverbs, I think, 16, 16, how better is it to get wisdom than even gold? It is of great value. Wisdom will protect you. Just read the Proverbs. Wisdom is very, very good. Amen? So he says, walk in wisdom, not like the rest of the world that are like clueless. We've been given wisdom 
Because he's the source of wisdom. And he says, ask for wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk like around like the rest of the world who are clueless. And they just keep getting themselves into the same old, same old jams. Like we are children of the light. And he's given us himself and the Holy Spirit. And he says that wisdom is available to you and I. And so we should seek out wisdom and walk in wisdom. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do we ever ask that question? I got this thing coming up at work. Lord, what do you want me to do? I got this thing going on right now in my marriage. Lord, what do you want me to do? And there's this stuff going on around me in the world and just relational and all these things. Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, the world's going crazy right now around us. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to the things going on? It's good to ask those questions, amen? So in verse 18, he talks about the influence and, and please don't misunderstand this because so many people in legalism take this way out of context. I'm not for or against. But he says, don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Some will say, I don't drink anything. Paul told Timothy to have a little wine for the stomach every once in a while. So I'm not advocating for it or against it. But the idea here is Paul saying, who's in control? Because when you allow alcohol to get to the point where you're no longer you, when you're under the influence, now it's dangerous. Amen? I've met people, and some people are really, really nice people when they're inebriated. Some people are mean. And so the idea is who's in control? He says, you as followers of Christ, of children of God, the imitate God in wisdom and love and light, don't let something else influence you. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Again, the idea is who is in control? So he answers that with this. Instead of being influenced by alcohol that makes a mocker of men, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. We don't get the Holy Spirit in installment plans. We get every bit of the Holy Spirit the moment we place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we can yield to the Holy Spirit a little bit or a lot, right? And in that sense, like I can be walking through the day, walking in the flesh and not yielding to the Spirit, and it's like... Spirit's not even seen in my life, and the next day I can be so in tune with and so yielding to the Holy Spirit. And he says, let him influence, let him be in control, let the Holy Spirit guide you in his life. And I've said last week, he will not guide us wrong, amen? So what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I grew up in some crazy churches that would give you some really weird answers, but Paul says, here it is, very simply, what is the, what is the evidence of someone who is letting the Spirit fill them up and guiding their lives? Three things, the King James says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. The New Living Translation says singing. And so he says speaking. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself. Um, and then making music, or King James again says singing and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So there's speaking, there's singing, and then verse 20, and give thanks for everything. I'm good at thanking God for some things. Are you? God, thank you for the fact that we live in America where we're not under the gun right now. We're not hearing sirens go off in the distance because we're being attacked again. Have to run back to our shelters again. I'm good at thanking him for some things. But Paul says, thanking God for everything. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, listen, as followers of Christ, because of what he's done for us, chapters 1, 2, and 3, live a life worthy of the calling and to do that, we have to walk differently. That was last week. And this time, we are called to imitate our Father. We imitate him by walking in love. We imitate him by walking in light. And we imitate him by walking in wisdom. The question is, how do we do that? 
How do you do that? I read a wiki um, how-to on the internet. Sometimes the internet can be helpful. And I thought this was a cool article. And the title of it was, How to Imitate a Person You Admire. Right? You get these people that are just movers and shakers. You're like, how do you imitate someone you admire? Here's their advice. Three ways. You observe the person. you got to watch them. you got to listen to them. You've got to check them out. You're, you're, you're learning about them. Uh, there's a man named Andy Andrews who, at the age of about 19, his mom and his dad both died in the span of a few months, and he was homeless for about a year. Grew up in a Christian home. Dad was a minister of music. Mom did the choir and all that stuff, but they both died. And now for about one year of his life, he was a homeless person living on the coast in Alabama. And he says, I was hungry. I was walking around begging people. But he goes, I didn't want to live that life. And so he said, I did have a library card. And so he, he goes on to say that he went to the library and he began to look at every successful autobiography he could find. And he read in one year 200 autobiographies. And he was able to put together a list of seven things that he discovered that was common in each one of their lives. That's pretty cool, right? He later was able to write a, a book called The Pilgrim's Gift where he talks about these seven uh, things that he discovered and his life was radically altered and turned around. It's okay to observe and to imitate when it's helpful like that. So this article says you observe the person and then you emulate the person. You emulate their behavior. You start doing the things they do. You start saying the things that they say. And then the third one I thought was kind of humorous. It says, keep the imitation in check. Now, what does that mean is add your personal touch. Don't be a carbon copy. Yeah, God made you you, so don't emulate them so much that you don't even look like you anymore. Add your own behavior that is natural, feels natural to you. Make sure that you're not bothering the person. Stop copying me. Make sure you're not bothering. I don't think it's going to bother God if we're imitating him, right? But this is their article, and I think it's good. Make sure you're not bothering the person. And listen, avoid imitating negative qualities. Hallelujah, there's none to worry about with following God and imitating him. Right? So that's wiki. That's some good advice. And so um, how do we observe? We hang out. And so to observe God, how do we do that? He's in heaven. We're here. We pray. We spend time with him in prayer. It's just conversation between God and us. Amen? We, we read his word. If you want to know who he is, get to know God through reading his word. He loved us enough that he gave us his own autobiography, if you will. The character of God is revealed to us. We get to know him, the things that he likes, the things that he dislikes. We observe we, through prayer, through reading his word, hanging out with other people that are already intimid, uh, imitating him. When Rachel and I first moved here, our marriage was not where it needed to be. It wasn't a train wreck, but it wasn't healthy. And I remember praying, God, we need some godly influence, godly married couples to hang out with so we can model what it looks like to have a healthy marriage. There are people who are already following God's plan in their marriage and their finances um, and, and business and, we can, and parenting. And we can look to those people and we can emulate and imitate the things that they do. Hang out with those who are pushing you to grow in your likeness of God. And I would say the opposite is true. Stop hanging out with those that cause you to be your absolute worst. Amen? That's hard sometimes. It's hard. But the reality is, you know, I think you can count on one hand the people that you consider best friends for your whole life. The people that you're hanging out with right now may not even be in your imagination down the road. You might like, I don't even remember. We were so close. So who's in your inner circle? Who is it that you're hanging out with? Who is it that influences you? Hopefully it's someone who's going to bring out the best in you. So I'd say observe, hang out, get involved in church and Bible study. Uh, find a Christian couple. Find somebody who's following. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
follow them and do what they do. I would say avoid imitating the negative qualities like the wiki article suggested. But then put into practice the things that you observe. And I'd say give yourself grace, but don't excuse it. Amen? That's important. we got to give ourselves some grace because we're not always going to get it right. In fact, tomorrow's Monday. I'm probably going to get up and get it wrong because I'm human. But I need to be able to give myself grace, but at the same time not excuse the behavior. Own it. Say, you know what? That was not right. That was not walking as though I'm imitating God. And so please forgive me. I'm sorry. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep walking. Is this, is this making sense? All right, so we're called to imitate God. Think about it. We're called Christians. What does Christian mean? Little Christs. And so when the world looks at you and looks at me, do we reflect the image of our Father? Do we reflect Christ, because I promise you that's the goal of God. God said his will is that we all be sanctified. He wants us to look so much like his son. And as we progress in sanctification and growing up in our, in our faith, this is the natural result of that. And so in order to do that, we've got to imitate him by being filled with love, walking in love selflessly, sacrificially, not self-centered. We've got to walk in light. We've got to come away from the darkness and live our lives as though the light is shining on us and we are now children of the light and walking in wisdom. Man, our world needs some people that are walking in wisdom today. Our churches need church members who are walking in wisdom today. Amen? And so here's a question. When people in your circle look at you, do they see Christ-like behavior, speech, responses? Because they should. Amen? Paul's saying, now listen, live a life worthy of the calling. It's already been done through the gospel for us. Notice he's not telling us to do all of these things so that we can become children of God. He says through the gospel, you're already his children. Now we just need to act like it. And we need to imitate our father. Amen? Now, I don't know how much more time we have left on this earth, but one thing I do know is it's imminent. His return or the end of all things is near. And to this idea of like, you know, what do we do in, the, in light of all the crazy that's going on around the world today? He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That's the relevant word for today. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. To live a life worthy of the calling by imitating our Father. I don't know about you, but I got some work to do. I got some work to do. And I want him to do that work in me. Amen? Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I, man, I haven't even started the journey yet. I've not placed my faith in the gospel. I will tell you, is the most important thing you can do is to place your faith in the gospel. Because if you've not done that, you're not a children of light. You're still in the darkness. And so the good news is God has made a way for you to be right with him through placing your faith in Jesus. Right? By placing your faith in the gospel. And so if you're here today and you've not done that, I urge you, I compel you, today is the day for you to place your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believer, child of God, do you reflect the character? Do you reflect your Father that's in heaven? Because we should. Especially as we see this era of time come to a close, how do we make the most of every opportunity? So for me, it's like, God, would you please bring that stuff to the surface? Let me, let me see the significance of these things so that I don't just ignore it and go, I wish so-and-so would have heard this today, but I look at it for myself and say, what are you trying to do in my heart, in my life today, God? 
And to take that step of obedience by rejecting, getting away from the deeds of darkness or living or imitating the world, but saying, I want to look more and more like my Father in heaven. I want to live my life worthy of all that he has done for me. To his praise and to his glory. That's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for just the reminder of how significant what you've done for us is and, and what it should do on our end. Lord, you've not only saved us from eternity, separated from you in a place called hell, but Lord, you've called us to a life. You said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And so, Lord, I, I just hope that we can understand what you're calling us to. And it's not a punishment, a, a bad father telling us to don't do all the fun things, but as, as one that knows all things, you're calling us to a life to reflect you and say, live a life worthy of all that's been done for us. And so, Holy Spirit, you live in us if we place our faith in, in the gospel. And I ask that you would do your work and just bring to the surface those things that uh, maybe we look a little too much like the world and that you're calling us away from today. And that you give us the courage, give us the sense of urgency to take a step away from that and to reflect the true nature of who we belong to. Father, I ask it for your glory and your honor. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts today? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.